friends, welcome to another edition of Nonprofit Lowdown. I am, as always, your host, Rhea Wong. Today, I have a guest, Carol Hamilton, who is the founder of Grace Social Sector Consulting. And today, we are going to talk about strategic planning, which is both the blessing and the curse of all nonprofits. So welcome, Carol. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real honor. It's so fun to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and Grace Social Sector Consulting. Sure. I've been in the nonprofit sector for most of my career, 20 plus years, and worked for a range of organizations, anti-poverty, women's employment, higher education associations. Last organization that I worked internally was for a capacity builder in the conservation field. And as I've worked in the sector, I just became increasingly interested in kind of seeing how people work together, the how of the work rather than necessarily the what, and how we can help people work more effectively together. And so that led me to do a degree in organization development from American University and then to launching my own consulting practice, Grace Social Sector Consulting, where I, I help nonprofits and associations be more strategic and innovative. Uh, as a fellow podcaster, I've also recently launched a podcast, Mission Impact. Oh, podcasting, as I say, is one of the most fun things I've done. And so I hope you enjoyed as much as I have. So actually, before we get into what is strategic planning, I actually want to talk about this word strategic, because I feel like we throw this word around a lot. We like to say it especially to funders, but what does it actually mean to you? Because to me, it can be anything from having a goal that we're all working towards all the way up to like a very complex plan that takes a really long time to put together. So like, what do you mean when you say strategic? That's a great question. I think it is bandied around a lot. It's valued in our culture to be strategic. And when I've done the strength finder, a lot of my strengths come up in the column that's all bundled with strategy. And they have actually an interesting definition of strategic, which is more seeing the interconnections between things versus strategic, where I might have a visual of what many people might think is kind of that arrow, that direction. How are we all moving in a common direction? And we talk a lot in the sector around, do you have a strategic board? Do you have a programmatic board? So the word is used in a lot of different ways, but I think at its core, a strategic planning process when done well, helps a group come to shared understanding of what those goals and intentions are and the vision that they're trying to move towards the world that they're trying to create. Yeah, I think I've had a problem with the word strategic because when it's bandied about, I sort of feel like it's a little insulting in the sense that it's like, well, are you implying that what we were doing was not strategic before? Well, there is that danger. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the difference between being reactive and proactive. I see strategy helping an organization move towards more of a proactive stance. I see. So it's much more about being able to anticipate changes in the environment and changes in the organization and adding clarity from the top all the way to the bottom, soup to nuts. Right. Have to continue to refine that clarity as the circumstances shift and change. Whenever I hear the word strategy in my mind, I think about that old SNL sketch with W. Bush going, strategery. Strategery. Yep. It's what I do. (laughs) Strategery. Okay. Let's talk about strategery right now because everyone on the call who's been in the nonprofit sector for more than five minutes has been part of a strategic planning process. 
and they can be long and painful and drawn out. So talk to me a little bit about your approach to strategic planning processes. Why are they so painful? Maybe because of where I lie in the strengths finder, I don't actually find them painful and I've been in processes that were that way. So I think a lot of it has to do with how you approach it. I think some of the pitfalls that organizations fall into that make it painful, one, if it's too long and drawn out, if there isn't momentum, keeping things moving. As an antidote to that, sometimes organizations will try to only involve a few people. So maybe it's the board and the senior leadership's role to set strategy. So those are the only folks that we're going to include. And so what I would say is one of the first key mistakes that organizations can make, just starting too small. But I would say in terms of an approach, figuring out who your stakeholders are, I think that's something that people are very familiar with in the sector, but thinking broadly about that and how can you involve them in a really authentic way in the process, especially at the beginning. You've heard the building buy-in. I kind of don't like that term, but I think people are much more likely to support and be engaged and excited about moving something forward that they've been part of shaping and building. That leads us into the topic of today's podcast, which is the top five strategic planning mistakes that people make. So you've already listed one, which is not including the right types of people into the conversation. What other mistakes have you seen folks make? Yeah, so definitely starting too small. And that can feel strategic to do and feel very efficient, but does the things that I talked about. I think maybe the other side would be too overly complicated in the process, trying to address too many strategic issues, uh, trying to have a plan that nails down every detail and maybe just an exhaustive process. So you want to balance between being thorough, but then also having momentum and bringing it to completion so that people are still have energy to do the work once they've been through the process rather than having expended everything in the process. So those are two. Yeah. So what are the other ones? Because I feel like when we spoke, we said top five, and I'd love to delve deep into those different ones. Sure. So I would say the other three are failure to operationalize, planning that's kind of just pie in the sky and way not grounded in reality, and then just pitfalls around the timeliness, the readiness. Is there actually a willingness to embrace change and embrace doing things differently? So I would say those are the three. And I think especially that failure to operationalize If you just want to keep the plan at the higher level of having some kind of big goals, maybe no more than three, four, at the most five big overarching goals that are going to carry you through a couple of years. But then if there isn't work and there isn't a process for saying, okay, then in year one, what is that actually going to mean? And how are we going to play that into everything else we're doing? I think that can really be detrimental. And then if the organization vision goes too broad and gets too pie in the sky, doesn't recognize what's already going on in the organization, only adds new things, doesn't also have the hard conversation around what might we need to let go of, uh, that can also be a pitfall. Just the going through the motions of, well, a funder told us we had to do this, but we're actually not interested in the final product. Yeah, I've often seen strategic plans that have sacrificed 
elegance and clarity for including everyone and making everyone feel heard and seen. And it's just like this multi-headed monster with total lack of clarity. So I'm just wondering, how do you address that? Because I think one thing, at least in my experience in nonprofit, is it because it's so consensus-based, it ends up being like, everyone and their mother has an opinion and thinks that their opinion needs to be represented. So what the question is, other than like, how do you keep that from happening? So you actually end up with a really elegant, clear product. Yeah, that's a great point. I think making sure that you're including people from the beginning, but also being clear about how their input is going to be used and what decision-making process is going to be implemented to narrow and refine and focus what the organization's gonna be doing. So I kind of think of it as an accordion. Maybe you start large, you work with a smaller group that helps you kind of synthesize and refine and prioritize. And then going back out to get feedback from the group that you initially asked for input to kind of refine that, but really recognizing that, and even saying upfront, we're not gonna be able to do everything. There are all good ideas, but we're not gonna be able to act on all of them. We're gonna have to make some choices, have to set priorities or this doesn't serve us. So I'm going to be a little bit challenging here for you, which is the strategic planning process takes time over many weeks or months or God forbid years. And I'm just wondering, do you think that the strategic planning process is nimble and responsive enough to the world that we live in? I mean, look, every strategic plan out there obviously could not have anticipated a pandemic, right? So I'm just wondering, do you think that it is a process that has outlived its usefulness in today's world? I would say it's a both and. I think what I like to include, I think there still is value in the process itself and then the final outcome, the final product, because it gives the organization time, a structured way to kind of step back and think bigger picture, which is so frequently, especially in our very fast paced, ever changing environment, hard to do. And it can help really create a shared understanding of the current state of the organization and then shared understanding and agreement around what we need to focus on. At the same time, I like to include a process of creating what's called a strategy screen, which was first developed by a consulting firm called La Piana. And that kind of gives you the both and. You end up with the strategic goals, but you also end up with this document, which essentially is like a decision-making tool. It helps you decide ahead of time. You have a conversation ahead of time of what are the key criteria that we're going to use to evaluate new opportunities, new challenges that we can't anticipate. I think one of the misconceptions around strategic planning is that it's about predicting the future. Well, you can do scenario planning, you can kind of think about what might be, but of course we never know. So also building a strategy screen gives you that tool that then when something new comes up, you already got that and you're ready to have a conversation. And separating those criteria for decision-making helps ground the conversation in those criteria versus who's the best debater, the most persuasive person, the most influential person in the organization. Yeah, it's interesting. I recently heard the, learned the term hippo, which highest paid person's opinion. Yep. <laughs> For those of you out there, you can use the hippo, which is, it's true that often the process defers to the highest paid person's opinion or the loudest person in the room. Right, right. So to get back to this question, Carol, of effective strategic plans, we've all been in the situation of needing to do a strategic plan and weighing either hiring a consultant or doing it ourselves in-house. So two-part question, 
which would you recommend? And if you were going to go the route of a consultant, how do you assess whether a consultant is any good or not? Well, I'm biased. I'm a consultant. So of course, I, I think we bring value to the process. And there are lots of tools and resources uh, that, that organizations can use. And I think even if you go with a kind of do-it-yourself model, if you can find some person that you may be within your network who can serve as a neutral facilitator throughout the process, that can be really helpful. Because I think the thing that either a neutral party who may not be paid may be doing this pro bono for your organization brings as a consultant, we also bring that, is having no stake in the outcome. So the challenge of trying to do it all yourself, whether you're the executive director or board chair, is that you have perspectives, you have an agenda, you want to be able to share that. And it's very challenging to both shepherd a process and hold the conversation and be a participant, a full participant in it. And so I think that's where an outside perspective and an outside set of skills, pair of hands can help with shepherding that process along perspectives of having done it with many organizations before and kind of seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. So as we think about hiring a consultant, the way that I've often seen this happen is like people will refer people that they've worked with before and then you kind of get a mishmash of like, if you do put out an RFP, you get a mishmash of different proposals. It's sort of hard to weigh apples against oranges because proposals look so different. So I'm wondering if there's any advice that you can give folks about how do you assess whether or not a consultant is right for you in this process? I actually would encourage organizations not to necessarily do a full-fledged RFP process, maybe a request for qualifications or a request for interest, but really spend more time or through referrals, spend more time having conversations with those consultants so that you can see whether there's a fit with their approach, their perspective. Do they ask interesting questions? Are they curious? What kind of skills do they have around listening? How do you see them facilitate the meeting? People can say all those things in a proposal, but how do you experience those? I think that my approach is very much the strategic plan that I can help the organization move through the process, but the plan itself, the content, the work, the decisions need to be that of the organization and the group. So the more that the organization is doing that work, it becomes their plan rather than me telling you as a consultant what you should or shouldn't do. I, I'm going to come and diagnose and tell you which way you need to go. That needs to be the decision of the organization. Consultants have different approaches and different stances. And so what's going to fit with your organizational culture and your leaders? You know, I think the hardest thing for leaders, especially for founders to do in a strategic planning process is to decide. And I recently learned that the word to decide means to put to death all other options. Mm. And founders in particular love, I'll speak for myself, I love all the options, right? Like I want all the doors open to me. And so I guess I'm wondering, as a consultant, how do you help people make decisions? Because ultimately that's the core of what the plan is. Like you've made a decision about a course of action. And especially for founders, again, I'll talk, speak for myself, it can be very painful to cut off possibilities. Yeah, I was recently talking to someone. I was trying to help her prioritize on what we were going to focus on. And, and the, the response was, everything is important. Well, the truth is, if everything's important, at least in my mind, my bias is that nothing is important. 
So I would say that, again, I kind of like that accordion where you're going wide, you're having parts in the process where you're really trying to envision, you're trying to get imaginative, you're brainstorming, you're putting aside feasibility and critique and all of that. But then you're saying, okay, now we need to make some decisions. You may do that by deciding what are the criteria that we're going to prioritize with and going back and forth between going wide and then refining going back out and refining again. And so it's usually through a multiple kind of iterations of refinement that you bring the group to agreement. You may have gone through a process where, for example, sometimes at the end of a session and now in the online space, I'm tending to do shorter sessions rather than full day retreats and that kind of thing. I may ask, let me find out from everybody what they think the top three things that the organization needs to do and have them write that in a Google Doc, in a mural board, whatever tool you're using to support the process, and then have uh, do a little dot voting, of, see where there's commonality, do some dot voting to refine, but then come back to the next time to say, okay, well, this is where we were in the last stage. What's our level of agreement on whether these are the right things or not? And keeping a process like the strategy screen being clear about what a strategic plan is, is that it's helping the organization set some intentions about where it wants to go and where it wants to be. And it doesn't mean that those are the only things that the organization can ever do in the future, that it doesn't necessarily mean that. So it's actually a really good segue into a question coming up from Jacqueline. Yes, thank you. You mentioned strategy screen. Actually, I've been involved in strategic planning for quite some time and haven't come up with strategy screen unless it's got several different names. I was wondering if you could provide more input and provide a source so I could do some research on it. Yes. So Lapiana Consulting, I can't remember the gentleman's name, the first name, but there's a book that he's written about this. And basically, it essentially, you end up with a tool that has a set of criteria, it might be the alignment with mission, leveraging our brand or increasing our visibility in the community is financially contributes to the bottom line of the organization. So you have a set of criteria that you all agree on. And then basically it's like a rubric one through five, how close to these different criteria does this proposal or does this opportunity align with those criteria? And so the more aligned it is, the more likely that you would move on it, the less. So it allows all the people to have input on a set of criteria that they've already agreed to use. So it's like a filtering tool. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question coming in from Suzanne. Suzanne? Hi, good morning. Carol, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what a garden variety strategic planning process, like how much time do you recommend a nonprofit set aside for that process? I think it's really going to depend on the scope of the organization and the number of people that you need to involve in the process. So it could be as short as a couple months and it could be as long as a year. But that's not the only thing that you're going to be doing, obviously. But if you have multiple sets of, I know with oftentimes with membership organizations, they may have a number of different components that they're collecting information from, doing focus groups, et cetera. And so that takes a little bit longer to, to schedule. So it could just depend. But again, it's going to scale to the scale of your organization. 
On that note too, Carol, I'm wondering as you do strategic plans, how far out do you plan? Because I've heard three years, I've heard five years, and given the tumultuousness of our current situation, like is one year, is two years, like what's the right time span that we should be thinking about? Yeah, generally when I'm working with organizations, I've suggested three to five years, and I use the range where we're planning for the three years, knowing that sometimes things happen and it takes a little bit longer for certain items to come to fruition. In addition, making sure that you have that first year operational plan and a process to come back and make then the year two plan is really important because I don't want organizations to spend a lot of time and energy trying to anticipate exactly what they're going to be doing in year three. And they need to make sure that they're moving from those big goals to like, okay, how do we actually make this happen? But in no more than one year kind of span. And if they don't already have some kind of annual planning process that can kind of kickstart that. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I was also wondering like, how do you keep the plan from being completed. It looks great. You have the exact summary and then it sits on the shelf and like no one looks at it ever again. So I know you mentioned an annual plan process. What other tactical things can folks take away to make sure that this plan is a living, breathing thing? Yeah. So I think as you're kind of finalizing the plan, also having conversations, it could be when you're finalizing, it could be when you're beginning the process of how you're going to keep it fresh and who's responsible for that monitoring for holding the process for that annual planning. Where are you? Maybe was a good idea, but is no longer relevant. Something new needs to be added and things probably need to be adjusted in terms of timing, et cetera. So making sure that you've got someone who's kind of holding that monitoring and updating process uh, for the plan. I'm going to be a little bit contradictory here. What is your thought about a strategic plan versus guiding principles of operations? So in other words, like rather than having a strict plan of this is what we envision years three to five to look like, instead scaling back and having kind of core principles that we adhere to and using that as a way to drive decision-making. I don't think that they have to be exclusive one or the other. I think having conversations about those guiding principles and in essence, the strategy screen is kind of a technical output of a conversation like that. Like what are the big things that we need to be paying attention to? I think it's valuable to have goals. The research shows that people, organizations make more progress towards what they want when you have written goals and it may not fit your culture. So you also have to think about what is the culture of the organization and are those sets of guiding principles actually going to work better for the organization? It also may depend on where it is in its maturity and development. Got it. So I have another question coming in from Suzanne, which is literally the million dollar question. Suzanne, go ahead. Okay. Not to put you on the spot or anything, but I was wondering if you could offer sort of a range in the typical cost for a strategic plan and maybe... I'll just, for example, for like a half a million dollar, 500,000 operating budget for an organization. So it's kind of on the smaller scale versus like the $5 million nonprofit. Or the $25 million nonprofit. Yeah, I think there's a huge range and a lot of that depends on, you can do a much lighter process that could start, and it's going to obviously depend on the consultant and your geography, but anywhere from maybe seven to 10,000. I've seen proposals and processes that were scoped at 50,000. So there's a huge range. And again, often has to 
kind of parallel to the size and complexity of the organization. Have another question coming in from Jacqueline. Jacqueline, what's your question? While it's nice and is the best way to make sure that everyone in your organization is ready for change before a strategic process is initiated, what do you do when not everyone is ready for a change and some are not on board? Do you have any insights into how to improve that? Well, I don't know that I would wait for everyone, but I think if you don't have a good majority, especially within your influential and leadership group who are excited about doing the process, then it probably won't be a good use of folks' time. But I would say in terms of if there are folks who aren't on board or if you're experiencing some resistance, to me, that just invites having a conversation with that person to find out what's behind the resistance. What are they afraid of? Oftentimes, it might be coming out of a fear of a loss of some sort. And so what might that be? And sometimes we can label people as kind of resistors to the process, but they may have a very important perspective that we haven't considered that if we invite them in, that they can help shape the process. So I think it's just being in conversation and trying to kind of dig into what's underneath the resistance. Carol, can you offer insight about when it might be time to do a strategic plan? Like, for example, I know new executive directors often like to come in a process you know, sometimes processes will be done in the middle of a tenure of a long time ED as they're thinking about stepping away. Like, so do you have any thoughts about when a good time would be? Sure. And that's one of the questions you want to ask is, is the organization ready? Is this a good time to try to launch into a process like this? I would say that with a new executive director, that's a clearly a good time to try to do that. It can be a way for them to really integrate into the organization even deeper and connect with stakeholders in a meaningful way and then also help set direction. I think sometimes that aren't great, probably right before a leadership transition, you might probably will wanna do, or you will want to do some sort of organizational assessment and some shorter term planning so that there's clarity on the part of the board and those doing the search to what the expectations are for the new leader in their first six months, in their first year, but not to kind of have that whole piece laid out so far in advance um, not allowing the new person to be part of the, shaping that process. If the organization is in crisis, probably not a good time to try to uh, do strategic planning. I mean, literally when we're in crisis, we just can't think that openly, that creatively, that long-term. When there's a really big other initiative that's going on, let's say they're doing a capital campaign or some other type of process that either is involving those same people that they might want to involve in strategic planning, so there are a couple different things, different times. Um, there are probably others that I haven't mentioned where maybe this isn't the right time to do it. But once the organization gets, uh, has done one, I think it's then can become part of the culture to then, okay, we're coming to the end of our three years. It's time for us to think again. And that can be a, a useful regular process. I have a follow-up question from Jacqueline's question, which is on the face of it, this idea of strategic planning seems very neat and seems, you know, like a clear process. I'm thinking about like all the pretty templates that like McKinsey puts out, but in, in reality, it's a messy process. And, and in fact, I would say a lot of it is managing personalities and managing interpersonal politics. So can you talk a little bit about that as a consultant, like what is actually your role in managing the people around the process? 
Well, I think that comes with spending time at the beginning, having conversations with people, gathering their perspectives, synthesizing those perspectives, focus groups, survey, all of that kind of upfront work can give you a sense of the lay of the land and where people are. And then, at least in my experience, there's often been more agreement that people were aware of. As I talk to them in each individually, the same things start coming up, but they may not know that each other are thinking the same thing, either on the challenge side or on the positive side. But certainly as a staff person, as a leader within the organization, they're going to have much more of a sense of where those politics are and those influential people. And oftentimes as a consultant, well, I'll, I would ask questions about that of kind of who are the key people, what's the lay of the land, how are people getting along. That if, if the organization is very much in conflict, if there's already a big conflict going on, it may again not be a good time to do strategic planning. It may be time to do different work. And have you ever recommended that, like stepped into a project and said, you're not ready for a strategic plan, but by the way, let me get you a therapist. <laughs> well, I often think that, that organization development is essentially organizational therapy. So yes, but there are different people that specialize and, and depending on the situation, whether it's, well, actually this leadership team really needs to do some team building or the board is not clear on its role. So we need to focus on that. There may be different things that are going on that you want to address first before you go into a process. Could we speak about founders for a second? Being sort of a pseudo founder and now working with founders, I realize that founders, a special unicorn, a special kind of a leader. And what I've seen sometimes is that founders so deeply identify the organization with who they are as people, like their identity. It's hard to have a, an objective or non-emotional conversation about change and about how an organization might be different than they themselves may have conceived it as a founder. So I guess my question is, is that accurate to what you've experienced? And if it is, what have you been able to do about it? Yeah, I think very much, whether it's a founder or a leader that's been there for a long time, I worked for an organization where the woman wasn't literally the founder, but she had led the organization for so long, she might as well have been. So it can become in different circumstances. And certainly it's not only the founder themselves, I think that starts to have challenge of where do I stop and where does the organization begin? What is me and what is the organization? But the people around them maybe also have that challenge, whether staff or board of maybe over relying on the founder uh, for that vision often will depend on how things started, whether it was that one kind of charismatic and very visionary person who was moving things forward, or whether it was a group of people kind of around a kitchen table. So that can kind of shift the dynamics depending on how an organization was started. But I think appreciating what the founder brings, I think that the part that can be challenging is helping both from the board. And even I was working with another organization where they were going up through a leadership transition with a very beloved leader and helping them realize that they needed to let go of this image of, they had basically labeled leadership, defined leadership as everything that that person demonstrated in their leadership style. So how can you define leadership that's a little separated from that person and might make room for a different style of leadership and a different way people might do things? So it's not easy. And I've also seen where founders have said that they're aware that they need to step away and then acted in very different ways uh, where they really, really still want to hold on because their identity is so caught up in it. So yeah, I think there is a little piece of therapy in there. 
One other question I had for you, Carol, is sometimes when I think about strategic plans, it is kind of this high level, 20,000 foot view of this is where we want to go as an organization. But a lot of times, I guess the vision is really dependent on each leg of the stool, be it the fundraising arm or the administrative arm or the programmatic arm being really strong. And so I guess I'm wondering how deep into the details of each individual department will you go in order to help people realize a vision? Yeah, I think as part of that upfront process, a part of the goal is to kind of get an assessment of where the strengths are and where there needs to be growth and and movement. And sometimes that can be at the operational or programmatic level or at the board level. So part of that upfront is not only trying to hear what are folks' hopes and dreams, but then also kind of what's the current state, what's working within the organization and what needs work. And so making sure that you're building in that kind of assessment. Yeah, because for me, one of the mistakes is that kind of pie in the sky. So if it's all vision and has no connection to reality, there's little hope of it moving forward. So how does it connect to where the organization actually is right now to where then it wants to get and what has to happen to get it there? One other question that is coming in, which I think is a good one, is one of the things that you've listed as your specialty is DEI consulting. And here at Nonprofit Lowdown, we talk a lot about DEI. So I'm wondering, how do you think about your work in DEI as it relates to strategic planning processes? Well, I would say for my practice, I'm emerging a practitioner in that arena and doing that within a collective, multicultural group of consultants that have more experience. So I almost feel like I'm an apprentice in that arena. But I think the kind of strategic lens and kind of the steps forward, you might be either having equity and inclusion as a center part of your strategic plan. Uh, You may be wanting to focus on that and then using diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Kind of using tools from the strategic planning toolbox to then put together a plan that helps your organization move forward on those roles. So that's where I see, as part of a collective called All In Consulting, that's where I see my role and my contribution. Again, maybe you're just getting started in this, but are you having explicit conversations with your strategic planning clients around white supremacy and how that might show up in organizational culture? Could you walk us through some of those, how that might show up? Well, I think just asking the question of what work have they done in that arena before, if any, and kind of gauging, again, part of that organizational assessment process of trying to attend to where are they in that journey and whether there's even any awareness yet within the organization of that work. Carol, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Sure. So uh, gracesocialsector.com is my website. And uh, you can find the Mission Impact podcast on all the podcast uh, arenas. And it has its own website as well, missionimpactpodcast.com. So Carol, thank you so much for being with us. It's very informative. Thank you so much for having me. And it was great to have a chance to connect with uh, the rest of the folks as well. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.